1: Welcome to today's episode of Unleashing Brilliance. We're in for an excellent conversation today, and it's all a little bit weird, quite frankly, because I'm sat across the table from my awesome brother, uh, Paul Walton. Um, He's got a great backstory. He's got an awesome job at the moment. He's doing some incredible things. And I thought we should probably capture from his perspective uh, what, for him, unleashing brilliance is all about now i could give you his bio and his corporate uh what he's been up to but you can check out his website if you want to paul walton at princess pictures but let's just uh jump straight into the conversation and see where it goes and um paul welcome
0: thank you it is weird (laughs) because i'm still that little boy who dreamed of being a cowboy so um Things haven't changed for me really. I'm still being a cowboy or trying to be a cowboy.
1: As you can see, his accent's a little bit different from mine. So it is my little brother. I always like to say that there's something in that, isn't he? And and the cowboy. I remember being the nurse when you were the cowboy. I remember getting that uh, that nurse's uniform. There's the uh, gender gender bias that we received as kids, right? I can never quite
0: understand why you wrapped the bandages around my leg before (laughs) I got an injury, but I suppose maybe that's an older sister thing too.
1: (laughs) Yeah, probably. So give us your story. How did you get to where you're at? Give us the whistle-stop tour of Paul.
0: Uh, Well, I failed miserably as an actor um, and then I moved into... um, Well, I suppose starting out really, we, you know, we... I spent a lot of time on our family farm, which sounds way more glamorous than it actually was, um, on my own, um, in my own head, uh, creating stories for myself and creating characters. And sometimes it was so quiet and lonely that I actually had to speak out loud just to remember that I had a voice. Um, And I sort of translated that that experience into becoming an actor. And and I, I... I had a lot of success as a, as a child actor, but I always knew that that wasn't necessarily the thing that I wanted to do. I wanted to be the puppeteer, not the puppet. And I also felt I had more to offer um, working with people and, and uh, giving, really inspiring people to be the best they could possibly be, which I probably didn't realize at the time, it was just happening. And it's only probably you know 30 years later that I've realized that that, that was the case. So went from acting, um, I I was lucky enough to have grown up at Yorkshire Television, um, as it like I was the, I think I was like seven or eight when I first entered the doors and then um, spent time with some amazing people and there was a guy called David Reynolds who was a director comedy director at the time worked on things like Rising Damp and Porridge and those kind of shows and I wrote a letter to him because I really I was sort of coming to the end of my I went from getting the lead character roles to getting the, the Northern English guy who stole cars and wouldn't speak to anyone until he'd spoken to his brief. And I was like, this is not really inspiring. This is, this is just adding to my, my CV um, and not enjoyable anymore. So I wrote to David and just said, hey, I really would love to get behind the camera. Um, and I just asked for a job. Uh, and that was a really key moment for me because I'd never done that before. I'd always been reliant on other people, having to prove myself in auditions or having to um, sing or dance or do whatever, you know, in an auditions where people p- approved me or told me whether I was good enough. And this is the first time I'd literally asked for a job. And David could not do enough for me. He gave me an opportunity behind the camera. I was a runner. Um, And then I moved up through the ranks and was fortunate to sort of be mentored by David Jason of, you know, Only Fools and Horses, A Touch of Frost fame. Um, And then I moved to Australia, fell in love with um, an Australian girl, came to Australia and I went from having a really successful career in the UK where I was working 18 months of a 12 month year to literally having to start all over again. So I had to go back to that moment where I wrote that one letter to David Jason uh, to David Reynolds. But this time I had to write a thousand letters and I had to write to every single person in Australia and, and beg for a job, which was a massive hit to the ego. Um, I did that, I got one response, literally one response, which said, we do not have anything for you, but they made the mistake of leaving their mobile number at the bottom of the letter. So I rang them up and said, OK, you don't have anything for me, but who does? And within two hours, I had my first job in Australia. And the rest is history. Then I just it was just really making the most of every opportunity. Um, and now I'm a partner at Princess Pictures, um, and we create content for Australia and for around the world, predominantly comedy. And for me, it's back to how do I inspire people to be the best they can possibly be.
1: So, what does an average day for you look like now? Is there such a thing? Oh, God,
0: there isn't. But, you know, yesterday I was sitting in the writer's room with, we were working with these two guys, um, Nathan and Thea, who have the channel Superwog, our YouTube channel, which is hugely Australian, hugely successful Australian channel. And we were going through this, we spent the day going through scripts and stories and jokes. And I was like, actually, I have a really cool job. It was the first time I'd really thought about it. You know, people say that to you, but it was was the first time. But what does my day look like? I think only recently I've been, you know, wrestling control of my day. I think in the last couple of years, I've been the flypaper to everybody else's day. So everything that everyone else wants to do will stick to my day, and that defines my day. Uh, Recently I've been really clear on giving chunks of time to certain things and just making sh- acknowledging that I'm always going to be busy because that's my nature, but making sure that when I'm present, I'm fully present. So my day is generally coming in, walking around the building. As Dave, my producer, says to me, fluffing people's pillows. <laughs> I come in every day and say hello to everybody, ask how they're going, see what's going on, get a litmus test of how the business is going. Um, and then just systematically work through what I've got to do, but make sure I'm always present in that moment.
1: And that presence piece is something that I think a lot of people in this crazy, busy world that we're living in find really hard. I was lucky enough to go and listen to a, a uh, keynote by Amy Cuddy, who does the body language mm. work at the US. And one of the statements that's resonated with me is she said, presence begets presence. And how we need to, as people, um, get better at it in terms of driving change, influences Mm. change, leading other people, and actually really connecting on that deeper level. Mm. And um, what you've just shared is an example of it doesn't matter how high up the ladder you go, um, the importance of being present to the people around you creates huge opportunity. Have you got an example where that's played out for you?
0: Um, well, I mean, there's a really lovely story when I was leaving the building, locking up here one day and there was two people in the room just next to the door. And so I was doing, is anyone in the building? And then I, you know, but just prior to that call out, is anyone in the building before I locked someone in and we, ours is a church. It's a pretty scary place to be locked in if you left on your own. But I overheard this conversation and one of the two junior members of the team, one of them was saying to the other one, you know, I really want to move into this field and the other person said to them well you know what if you stay at princess you're more likely to make that happen than anywhere else and that is because when we and so that was really for me quite a magical moment because that's exactly what it's all about if people believe in us enough that we believe in them then that's a pretty cool business to hang out in and that's when people invest in in their success and ultimately the success of the business um Oh, my phone's ringing. There you go. See, at least Talk you know it's live. <laughs> um, so, let it that bit out, I suppose. Um, so, what was it? I lost my train of thought. You're talking
1: about um, the people that you, as you were locking up one night, and there oh, two yeah. people that were at the door and talking about um, having a dream, and somebody said to them, well, if you stay at Princess, that's more likely to happen.
0: So, yes, the reason that's an example of being present is that you can only... When people feel connected, that's because you share in a moment. And that means in that moment, they, it's human nature for people to want to be liked by other people and be listened to and be respected. You can't do that if you're just flipping through and skimming the surface. You've actually got to get beneath the surface. And so the result of that by the way, was someone that came in as a as an intern who is now doing a very senior job yeah. at Princess, um, and someone who we rely on in order to make our workflow happen. So, it it's not even just taking it to that next stage. It's actually I'm just going to turn my phone off because it's I talk about being present. It's distracting me. <laughs> All right. Um, Yeah, so I I think in terms of presence, uh, that's what it's all about. It's just making sure that you can connect genuinely Mm. and listen Mm. and um, understand because that's the only way to make dreams happen Mm. is to actually both know what Mm. the future looks like Mm. and both commit to finding a way to make that a reality. If you only assume and you're not present and you just go, oh, they all want to do what I do, not everyone wants to do what I do and not everyone should do what I do, but if... I have a really present in the moment conversation. Then I can define what the picture looks like for them, and then find a way to help them paint that picture.
1: And what's the picture for you? What's what are you? What's driving you right now to keep doing what you do?
0: Well, it's not my CV. I think that's that's the key. I, I feel like I, you know, my CV is growing and getting better, but I've stopped caring about it a long time ago. Um, So for me, it is just working with remarkable people, continuing to be inspired on a daily basis and doing whatever I can to really make those, every project that I work on and everything that I touch reach its maximum potential. So whether that's just one project for the rest of my life and my career, that's fine. If that's a multitude of projects for the rest of my life, that's fine. But I don't want to be busy hopping from one one lily pad to the other, get to the other side of the pond and go, what did I just do? Where am I? I actually want to go, I'm exactly where I need to be right now with the people that I need to be with.
1: And what's one of the most exciting things you're working on right now then?
0: Well, we're launching a show on the comedy channel on Foxtel called The Slot. Um, It's a 10 half hour show comedy um, that's each half-hour episode is broken up into slots, and each of those slots is occupied by um, short-form comedy creators who are from Digital Origins.
1: So YouTubers. Right? So YouTubers,
0: yeah. predominantly, there's a new, you know, a new generation who are predominantly in Facebook. You know, the platforms are changing on a daily basis. Next season, probably it'll be someone who's only on Musically. I don't know, um, but really, it is about creative talent who are not waiting for permission to do what they do so it's the people who have gone I know there's gatekeepers I don't care I'm just going to bash the door down I'm just going to do what I do regardless of the gatekeepers so it's a show that's got a lot of energy and it came out of a really horrific experience I had professionally that I really didn't enjoy and it really took me to a dark space but out of it came this I woke up one night going hang on that you've learned a lot from that You've taken away only the neg- only the negatives. What would it look like if you reframed it and looked at what was the most positive thing you got out of that experience and what would it look like if you could do more of that? So I just took one thing and I was like, right, I'm going to build a show around this. And I I built a show around it, pitched it, and now it's about to go on air. So that's super exciting for me.
1: So I'm going to go ask you to go back a couple of sets because there's so much awesome learning in there and so talk to us about that that day what was it that took you to the dark place what happened to put you in a position where you had a choice to make fundamentally of whether you sit still or change things what what was it
0: um therapy
1: (laughs) (laughs) so there's nothing wrong in therapy right
0: (laughs) no um no look it was so that project when that project was you know, just an empty, just a ball of clay, an unmolded ball of clay was super exciting. And it was super exciting for so many reasons for me, and I don't want to go into the specifics of the project, but I, I felt that I was sort of sitting with this clay on the potting wheel, and it, it was my time to craft this piece of clay into something special that pe- people could enjoy. And at that point, it was sort of like, and not in a good way, that moment in Ghost, like when the hands came from around and someone put their hand on the clay and then suddenly another pair of hands put their hand on the clay and then there was another pair of hands on the clay. And before I knew it, there was clay everywhere. So it, I, 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 I didn't choose to in any way filter all that energy. Everyone thought they were doing the right thing. I just chose to be a victim. I was like, no, oh, no one's listening to me, this is not right. And so in a way, I, it was. I was a big participant in that becoming a dark space because for me my value I really value honesty I value communication um, and I've all through my career and my life trusted my instincts and if even if what goes wrong even if you trust your instinct and it goes wrong at least I've been had the hands on the wheel and this was the first time I had the opportunity to have the hands on the wheel but I didn't trust my instincts I played everyone else's game Mm. so that's why it was it was it was a show that was um, conflicting with my personal values and it was a show that made me compromise my professional values. And so, you ca- so you're naturally going to go in a dark space. So for me, again, I've always taken responsibility for the results in my life. So at that point was I went from going, okay, stop being a victim about this, step up and make something positive out of this because only I knew how shit it was to be honest, because everyone else, because I'm, I'm good enough at my job to do this light of hand trick. So as a magician, which is my job, everybody thought it was all going well. But in my core, it was breaking me down on a monumental scale. So, um, so I was like, okay, well, I owe it to those people now to bring back my magic. So I, I just literally sat down, Laura who's my business partner we went wouldn't it be cool if this happened um so i just launched straight into i'll oh. go and talk to the network and tell them about that idea it was really badly formed but it was it, i needed to just get straight back on the horse they showed me the door so quickly you would not believe so i went but th- i could tell there there was something about it they liked so i was like okay well there's something there um so then i just designed something around that that was the slot um, and knowing that the network needed to appeal to a younger demographic, knowing that they wanted to have a big reach and, you know, a big audience and and a noisy audience. I just looked at all the things that tick their boxes and I was like, okay, I'll design a show that I love, but I'll design a show that can tick all their boxes so that we can create a partnership.
1: There's there's so much um, learning in that. So what I hear... Um, which many of our listeners will have experienced, is, is committing or taking on a project that you're really passionate about, that you want to have a creative input into, and then finding yourself one day out of control of it, where it's being directed by other people. And it doesn't matter whether you're in a creative industry or in corporate or in your own business. It's, it's actually that feeling of being out of control. And what you shared there, Paul, is the realisation that you either keep going or you do something about it. Um, and again, for our listeners, it's that ability to just pause, to be present, as you talked about earlier, mm. and to start working out a different strategy, because what you've been doing right now isn't isn't working for you. Mm. Um, what you... I also
0: need to add to that, yeah. because I think in that moment when things were going wrong, mm. I had every opportunity to make them go right. Mm but I chose to hide mm. Mm. and when I, when I went into my cave, literally into my office, closed my door and didn't wanna to talk to anybody, what it meant was that the people around me who loved and supported me assumed that they had to now take control. So so they then jumped on their, what they thought were doing right and so before you know it, rather than me creating one big shiny arrow that we're all riding to the future, everybody by thinking they're doing the right thing is creating their own little mm-hmm. shiny arrows that are ten or you know ten degrees off the the direction that we're all should mm-hmm. be heading in. So they're trying to help you, but you're not giving them direction, mm-hmm. and that's not leadership. No. That, so for me, it was about with this this second show with this the slot was okay. No matter how hard it gets, and believe me, the show the slot was way harder to produce <laughs> than that show. But I never took my hands off the wheel. Mm. I never, I created chaos, and and Dave, my producer, would always go, oh, here we go, another hand grenade. But they all knew that I was fighting for them, I was fighting for the show, I was present, Mm. I was authentic, I was consistent. Mm. So even whether they agreed with what I've been doing or not, there was a clear line drawn in the sand of where we were heading, Mm. Um, and so, that paid off their investment in me and their investment in the show because the worst thing you can do is just retreat and then it just turns into chaos and that's not fair on people
1: no so before we talk about just this concept of the show because the show in itself is you challenging norms and disrupting industry but before we get there so dark place acknowledgement something had to change and again, I know many of our listeners and uh, people that I speak to and work with um, say to me, um, I'm in a funk, I'm in a funk, how do I get out of it? From your perspective, what, what were the couple of the key things that got you out of that funk to actually get back in control?
0: Well, I remember sitting in my car, I mean, this sounds really dramatic, but I remember sitting in my car in Melbourne and I put into my GPS Darwin. And I just literally wanted to drive and just get away from it all. I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna drive. I'm gonna leave everything, like everything behind. Um, so it was a pretty dark place. And then I, in that moment, I was like, actually, stop being so fucking selfish. <laughs> it was actually, I realized that it was you, um, there was my, you know, my fam, just my family really was the whole thing of like, you know, my kids think I'm a hero. And um, at the moment, I'm not being heroic, so I. So the first thing I did was really not even work related. To be honest, it was just get my shit together at home, and it was the things that appear material can actually make a massive amount of difference. So for me, it was like buy a spa. <laughs> <laughs> so it was buy a spa. And know that every day I will sit in that spa for fifteen minutes and appreciate the fact that I can buy that spa, and I've got a moment of switching off and being present. And my kids get in, my wife gets in, whatever. But in that moment, I'm just stopping, just slowing the momentum right down, like literally to the point you're almost asleep. So that was like one. So getting th- off was, the
1: wheel, it was getting off Getting off the, off crazy the wheel, train.
0: forcing mm. yourself off the wheel. Mm just really changing momentum, just changing the momentum completely. So just pressing pause. So that was the first physical step. And then it was, okay, um, why am I feeling like this? Because I'm so used to bouncing out of bed and being passionate, so what is it? So really just thinking about what is it that's making me churn up inside? And it came, I realized that it was, Dishonesty, so it was just getting back to that core value. And I know this is all big picture stuff, and maybe not s- quite specific. But no, that's good. the moment I realised that it was all about on- dishonesty, mm-hmm. um, I realised, okay, I've got to. I almost do an honesty audit on my life. So I had to look at how I communicate with you as a sister. Mm-hmm. I had to look at how I was communicating with my family, how I was com- com- communicating with my business partners how I was communicating with my peers I was so lucky to have um, a friend called Rick who was going through a very similar thing at the time so I you know to be able to sit down have a coffee with him and just go I don't know what to do here it was just like for, for someone who's always been seen as successful and always been put on a pedestal by other people it's really challenging to admit that you don't know what you're doing because actually, when people look to you as as the sort of GPS for their life, suddenly you're like, "I just want to go to Darwin." you know like it's actually really scary. so to be able to sit down with someone and have a really meaningful conversation that has no outcoming mind was a really was a really helpful thing for me and then just taking all those learnings and just slowly building mm-hmm. my life back together. And, and it was literally, because my l- work has defined who I am, because I'm in the entertainment industry, I sort of moved to Australia, I came to Australia. When I was in the UK, I was in the entertainment industry, but I was still that seven-year-old boy that walked through Yorkshire television doors and grew genuine friendships. When I came to Australia, I was the English guy who is in TV. So I was always labelled, so it's been really challenging for me just to, to find friendships that are based on nothing, just mm. doing nothing um, as opposed to... So, so my life in Australia has been quite defined by my professional life. So it was, it was good for me to just get back to basics, rebuild my personal life and then literally rebuild my mm. professional life.
1: I love that concept of an honesty audit with self. I think I've often talked about, um, are you 100% in? And I think we can go through life not having those reality checks. So That's a great concept. And uh, you have to
0: do it regularly. Even yeah, driving into work this morning, I was like, yeah. oh, that's not working. Why is that not working? Mm. And I was just like, okay, just do a mini audit. What's going on? Oh, okay. I'm, I'm, an, I'm actually expecting that person to be responsible for my happiness in this moment. Mm. I need to actually Mm. reset that Mm. and flip it.
1: Mm. Takes a lot of ownership. Now I wanna quickly just explore this thinking outside the box that you naturally do. So one of the things you touched on was a moment in time where you realised you had this other idea. And um, it's now become your norm, but the reality is this other idea has actually been quite groundbreaking in terms of the potential impact that it's going to have on the industry. Mm. You mentioned that um, there's a whole heap of new content creators um, out there. So for the audience, we're talking YouTubers, podcasters, Facebookers, whatever you mm. want to, musiclers—I don't mm. know if they've got a name yet—but essentially, content creators that aren't necessarily found through mainstream channels, and yet they have significant amount of followers. And I'll be frank and say, as a forty-six-year-old, I don't necessarily understand how um, or how they've managed to do it, or what what it's all about. But they—the realities are incredibly influential, and you've had this idea about bringing them to mainstream. So just talk to us if you can about how, because there's ideas everywhere. What made you grab that one? And what has motivated you to see it to the end? What's it all about?
0: It's all storytelling. So the, the, the putting it together, putting a show like The Slot Together is no different to starting a Westfield shopping centre for the first time. You get your key clients, you get your David Jones, your Myers, and then you build it around it and then everyone can see it. But it's the narrative. So for me, it was like, these are the most famous people most people have never heard of, which straight away you go, well, there's a conflict. And as a producer, you're always looking for conflict. So it's like, how do I make these famous people who are actually more famous than a lot of famous Australians, (laughs) you know, around the world, how do I bring them to the mainstream? How do I get them acknowledged by the industry? And how do I broaden their audience so that... um, more people can experience their brilliance so and also it's sort of an it's a bit of a hobby for a lot of them and the career is the, the industry has been such an amazing it's given me opened up some amazing opportunities for me but it's also financially been a great career so for me it was all also about how do i create a marketplace for these creators how do i find a way to make them have the experience that I've had, to enable them to have the experience that I've had, and for them to transact, not just on creative ability, but with money. How do we build sustainable careers? What does that even look like? So it was really just a toe in the water to start that. Um, So for me, it, it, it all started with the narrative of, these are the most famous faces you've never heard of. And of course, how cool is that to pitch to a network? Like, they know it straight away. And then you go, okay, and here are the numbers. So when I said, the first number, the first statistic I, I gave to the network was, we're going to put together this group of people who between them have three point seven billion views. Oh, and
1: that just blows your mind. No one's thinking been... about it.
0: It makes no sense. No. So you know, there's there's some between them they've got two hundred and fifty million subscribers. Not even that, like ten times the population of Australia. Mm. So, and yet we, we look down on them and we think they're just amateurs and in their just, bedroom. some of
1: these are just Australians.
0: They're all Australians. So,
1: three. what was the number again? 3.7 three 3.
0: billion views. 250 million in three hundred two hundred and fifty million subscribers. The, the, who cares about the mm. statistics? But what it says is mm. to me that, you know, Australia's redefining its identity right now. And these guys are online telling Australian stories and taking those Australians to the world and yet they're not acknowledged. So it's way bigger than a TV show. For me it's about if we're in the process of redefining our identity then we need to listen to the people who are doing that and influencing the world because these guys are influencers. It's a word I hate because it comes back to sort of purely marketing but they are genuinely changing the narrative of Australia right now. So we're going from that RM Williams um, sort of nostalgic version of what Australia is to, you know, all the the mainstream television, mainstream media has has created this vacuum by telling um, homogenised stories that are all the same and really boring and do not reflect the world I live in. Now, I'm sitting here saying that as a white, bald, middle-class man, but I'm an immigrant. I came to Australia. I've had to redefine the narrative around who I am. I've had to um, really stake my claim in my identity as an Australian, and I'm a proud Australian. So, and I, my story's not unique by any stretch of the imagination, and I don't come from a magical heritage Egyptian or wherever, you know, like I, I come from a pretty traditional background. So. For me, it was, it's, it's way bigger than just making a TV show. And I think when you can connect to people and inspire people by stories. So everything I do is, is bigger than just a TV show. And this
1: concept and the, the project of which an element of it is the TV show. Yeah. Um, has that concept appeared anywhere else around the world yet? No. Awesome.
0: Everybody's tried it because everybody's done the whole thing of, We'll just put a bunch of really successful people together
1: mm-hmm.
0: and l- combine all their numbers, and it will be a success. It doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. So when you watch the slot, um, it's more like a David Attenborough documentary about YouTube than it is a bunch of funny people together. So we we made a you know a really concerted effort in the first series to make sure that all the narratives really want uh, interwoven with each other and weirdly it's a comedy show that doesn't rely on comedy that's not its main driving force it's going like you just said before I'm a 46 year old woman I don't get it I don't understand it I think you watch this show and you go I don't really like that person they're hilarious now I feel slightly cooler because I now actually know, A, that the internet exists <laughs> and <laughs> that there's some really cool people going. I didn't realise. Mm. No, I'd never been into this magical world mm. called YouTube before. And so my dream is that you'll then pick the person that you like and go on to their channel and watch them. And suddenly you'll be like, oh, this is really cool. Oh, I really like them. And then they all, that that the whole reason YouTube has grown is, is collaboration mm. youtube could not exist without collaboration so you'll start to experience other creators like them and before you know mm. it you'll be h- as hooked as, as i am <laughs> yeah
1: so i'm imagining you've learned a lot of stuff from these this this new talent that's yeah. coming through what sort of things can you share what are some of the key learnings from working with these famous people that aren't famous?
0: Well. They are famous, you just haven't heard of them.
1: Sorry, <laughs> famous people that we just haven't heard of.
0: Um, well, I've learned not to, ha- not to put too much importance on lining all your ducks up in a row. Mm. Um,
1: so that 80% go type of concept.
0: So mm. some of them will, will generate content on a Sunday afternoon and, and upload it on a Sunday night, and it will not always be the best foot forward, but they are doing it and they're reacting and they know how to analyze the data and they'll constantly shift and change and react. They won't go, oh, well, the audience doesn't get me how funny I am and how talented I am, but they will, they actually go, oh, okay, well, that didn't connect, we'll react, we'll change. You know, it's the whole thing of you know if you're not getting the outcome you're looking for, then adapt what you're doing to get to move closer to the outcome. So, um, so they that they do that in it's all part of part of, parcel of what they do. I've learned that um, what makes you successful is not always the thing that you want to be successful. It would be known for. So a lot a lot of the creators are trying new things, um, trying different things. So they feed their hungry audience and they get their million views, but that they also want to do other things, but they're not scared of doing other things. They're not scared of experimenting and putting themselves out there. Um, I've also learned the value of what I do, um, that I take for granted the skills that I've built up over the years, and um, it's really good when you've built a reputation for taking risks, when you become more comfortable, it's harder to take risks, but you tell yourself you're taking risks, and then you sit alongside someone who's whole demeanour is risk taking so it's been good for me to to really again do an audit of how risk averse am I how much do I want to take risk or do I just want to hang out with risky people and make myself feel like I'm taking risks? so it's it's made me acknowledge a lot of those kind of things and it and going back to that sort of darker space it, it's it, by trusting my instincts it's made me connect back to you know what those instincts are um, and trust them and you know, be able to just go on that journey again and, and not worry about getting it wrong. Mm. Um, I think we spend so much time just worrying about getting it wrong. Mm. Actually, that's the best place. Mm. It's the best place to be. I mean, it's such a cliche, but it's so true. Like, get it wrong is the only way you know how to get it right. Mm. Um, and so, we. I mean, I always say to my team, which frustrates the hell out of them, the the so the production process is broken down into pre-production where you do all the planning, production where you do all the execution, and post-production where you polish it and send it off to the network, the editing. So I'm always saying to my guys pre-production does not stop until the last day of post-production. Mm. So we're not gonna go. We've done it. We've cracked it. It's perfect. We've done the Rubik's Cube. Like it's not. We just we will keep shifting, changing. I'm. I've delivered the show, and we're still shifting and changing now on how we promote the show. So it, it reminds, does not stop.
1: It reminds me of um, a book written by a friend of mine that's coming out. Early two thousand and eighteen, it's called Unicorn Tears by a guy called Jamie Pride, and he uh, works in the entrepreneurial startup space and talks about founder fitness. and He's coined the Hollywood method in terms of how they pull together films as how business should, businesses mm. should um, should actually operate. they are all mini right. businesses. Oh, totally. So, so what keeps you going? What who inspires you? How do you keep keep going? Um. <laughs> <laughs> The spa. The spa
0: the, spa. the spa. Um, the, the, the dream of just sitting next to the fire and drinking a an beer and looking up at the stars. Um, the simplicity. I mean, I, I, I'm very, I, I do stop work and go home and do home. I mean, at times you get better at that and sometimes you drop back into the old ways. Um, but for me, it's just the people. It all comes down to the people. I genuinely love everybody that works in this building that we're in now. Like I love them, mm. and I want them to all be successful. I'd love them to stay at Princess and be successful with us. But if they go off and be successful everywhere, you know, somewhere else, that's really cool too because it means that we've we're the foundations of the success. Um, I want to. I love working with the creators that I, Even though they frustrate the hell out of me, it's like herding cats. Um, I, I love them and I just want to keep creating with them. Um, I, I'm loving watching my family grow. Um, I'm loving seeing you know what they're becoming and what their hopes and dreams are and and my you know duty to to again help them as they start the yellow brick road of their life like guide them through that. So it's it's that kind of stuff really to be honest it's not I'm not project driven. I, I honestly if you said to me, Okay, we're gonna do a, a show with a, a set in a Chinese takeaway where the main guy is an assassin, and I'd be like, mm, not into it. But if if a creator came in and was like, this is the this is the thing I'm gonna make, it's gonna be the thing that defines me, and I see that passion and that drive and that energy that this is the thing that's fueling their flame, that'll fire me up. Mm. So it's more I'm not I'm not a visionary when it comes to projects or creative. But I think um, I'm a guy that gets shit done. Mm.
1: Mm. I think you are a visionary. I think you underestimate yourself there because there's not many people that would be willing to disrupt an industry and fight and challenge and re-challenge and re-question to get an idea across because mm. everybody needs someone to bring that passion to life. So this this podcast is all about unleashing brilliance. For you, what does that mean?
0: Um, well, I think acknowledging that you've got some brilliance and not being scared to acknowledge that. I think we all grow up with, uh, you know, don't get up yourself or um, don't run before. I think I remember as a kid, that was everything that I heard, don't run before you could walk. Well, if I'm a good runner, I want to run. So I think acknowledging your brilliance to start with is really good Um, and then remaining true to it. Um... I reckon if you can be in a position where you can enable others to unleash their brilliance, then your brilliance will be will shine even stronger.
1: Thank you, Paul. That's been an absolutely awesome opportunity to to get inside your head. Um, I've written a whole heap of things down here, but for our listeners, some of the key things that came out for me actually all revolve around this connection piece. Um, you talked at the beginning about being present, and to me that is that ability to, to ensure that you're um, sharing in the moments, connecting in those moments, to share what you can do to help others, and also to see others for what they really are. Um, you talked a lot about connecting with self, um, where you shared the story about trusting instincts. And I think in this, in this ever-changing, incredibly busy world that we're living in, where busy is almost a status update for everybody these days, that, that ability to stop, to change the momentum, um, to put the pause button on, to have what you call this concept of an honesty audit, audit to acknowledge that even in, if things go wrong, you can own it. Um, And it's up to you to step up and to make those choices. And and finally, through the um, work that you're currently doing, which is really exciting and game changing, I can't wait to, to see the impact of it, not just in Australia, but globally but the talent that you're working with where quite clearly they're talking about connection with audience is paramount. And it's not just saying, hi, here I am, but it's the ability to constantly adapt, um, to listen always, to make sure that there is that exchange of value to actually be respectful of the time that people are giving you and the time that, therefore, you have in your hands to be respectful of the of that, to show that the people that you are either working with, delivering content to, or um, living with every day, that, that they're important to you. And lastly, um, what's really clear for me is the love that you have, not only for the work that you do, but the people that you work with, and lucky me for your family mm. and our kids, um, who I know are inspired by the work that you do. Um, as your sister, love you to pieces. You inspire me every single day and it's been an absolute joy and pleasure to finally um, share with my listeners and my tribe what is so inspiring about you. So thank you, Paul.
0: Thank you very much for the opportunity. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people,
1: extraordinary results.